again, we appreciate you coming. Thanks for, for joining us. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, we have been in a study in uh, the book of Philippians. So if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. Um, and if you're new here, we always have a little study sheet and a pen on the little tables over here. So if you didn't get one of those, help yourself to that if you're interested. If not, just, just follow along. And again, thanks for joining us. Um, what we've been in, in Philippians, we, we started chapter 2 last week, and it was you know, all about having you know, the mind of a servant, and then taking the form of a servant, and you know, looking at Christ, our example, who not only you know, left his throne, and left his position, and left his power behind, he became a man. And not only did he become a man, he, he went to the cross, and died the death of, of, a, of a thief, right? He, he died the death, death, the death? I can't talk. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get this warmed up here, and, and I'll be better in a minute. He died the death of a thief, of a, you know, and, and he was humiliated and beaten and, and abused, right? It, the, the scripture tells us that it, it requires humility for God to look at us from heaven because he's so holy and we're so not, right? And we're so sinful and, and so opposite. So if it requires humility just to look at us, what did it take to go as far as he went for us? And, and that's the example that he's laid out for us. And so tonight we're going to look at, uh, this is all kind of attached. We saw this, the servant's mind, and we saw the form of a servant. And tonight we're going to look at the servant's attitude, which is directly related, but we didn't have time to get to all this last week. So we're going to pick up there. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 6, is on the screen. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Right? And that's, that's one of the themes that we've been hitting is, look, God's all about lifting us up. He's all about helping us out. He's all about coming through for us. But he's first and foremost all about us humbling ourselves, getting down low. Right, not, not being prideful, but getting low and, and focusing on others and helping them out. Right? And so he says, he will exalt us, but he says in due time. And man, that's where the struggle comes in, isn't it? Right. Right? Long-suffering is a bad word, right. Right? because it says it's long. We don't know how long, we just know it's there, and it might be there for a long time. That's why it's called that. Right? So it, he will exalt you in due time, well, is it my time, God? Is it, is it when I want it? Likely not, right? Because he's all about you learning patience in the struggle. And on your sheet, I have a, a sentence on there. It says, having the mind of a servant provokes one to take the form of a servant. And we saw this last week. Having the mind of a servant provokes one to take the form of a servant. That means you think like a servant. You start doing the things that a servant does. You start Having the mind of a servant, you look for other people's needs and you start fulfilling those. And if you have the form of a servant, it says a humble servant provokes God to supply grace in one's life. So having the mind of a servant provokes one to take the form of a servant and a humble servant provokes God to supply grace in one's life. Right? He's always interested in lifting us up. He's always interested in, in, in elevating us unless we're elevating ourselves, right? Then he's got to bring us low first so that we understand who he is and who we aren't, and, and then he can, he can lift us up. Uh, we're going to read in Philippians chapter 2, 
We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go through verse 18. And then we'll get into to some more of your notes. Philippians 2.12 starts off and it says, Wherefore, and, and anytime we see a wherefore or therefore or something like that, we know that we're connected back to what he's already stated. Here's some facts. Here's some details. Here is what Christ did for us in display, and here's how God lifted him up. Wherefore, okay, now we're, we're tracking with where we're at tonight. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy, and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, as always, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we can come together and worship you. I'm thankful for the, the worship team putting in the effort and time uh, to practice to lead us in, in song. Uh, Lord, I do pray that those songs were pleasing to your ears, and, and we know that that's the case if we meant the words. And Lord, we, we sincerely want to mean and we want you to be the king, and we want our lives to revolve around you, just like Nick said. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight that you teach us through your word, that you guide us, that uh, you would help to unite us uh, as a family. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so as, as we go through this passage, you can see on your sheet that we're going to look at several things that Paul points out. There's, there's like these different dual sayings. There's fear and trembling. There's to will and to do. There's blameless and harmless. So there's all these, you know, duality, you know, statements. It's this and it's that, and it's this and it's that, all the way through this, this section of the passage. And so much of this ground we've already covered in, in different places when we've come through uh, the first chapter and a half. And so hopefully we're going to be able to, to zip through this here, and we're going to have some uh, discussion questions at the end. Instead of normally we would finish up, do another song, we're going to finish up. We're going to break up into small groups. We're just going to talk about some of the things that maybe God's teaching you, hopefully. And uh, hopefully that's an encouragement to you. I like, you know, getting a chance to, to chat with you guys. So uh, first off, the thing we see, first of all, in verses 12 and 13 is that Paul sets the context as obedience, right? He says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, right? And so you're, you're obedient to the Lord, whether I'm with you or whether I'm gone, right? And if we remember back to when Paul started this church, he was only there for a short time, right? And obviously they were following the rules. They were excited about Christ when he was there, and he left, and then he had to send other people back to find out how things were going. And, and the report was always that, man, they're, they're still trusting God. They're still walking with God. This is, this is a good thing, all right? And so, you know, if, if my kids are obedient when I'm not there, man, that's the goal, Right? That, that is the goal. That's something, as a dad, that just that thrills my heart when I don't have to be right beside them and reminding them, you know, do what you're told, do what you're told, do what you're told. I, I keep telling this story about Weston. You know, you say, hey, bud, time to brush your teeth, get your jammies on, get ready for bed. Five minutes later, hey, did you brush your teeth? Um, no, no. Okay, brush your teeth. 
five minutes later, you get those teeth brushed? No. What are you doing? Um, looking in the mirror. <laughs> He's got a wiggly tooth. He's been working. You know, it's like, okay, quit messing with your tooth. Get your teeth brushed and get in bed, right? And, and so if, if he just does what I tell him, man, it's just like, oh, man, how fast can we get ready for bed, actually? This is awesome, right? <laughs> Obedience, you know, and that's the goal. The long-term goal is, is that they wouldn't just love God because I say they have to love God. They wouldn't just obey God because I say that's the rules of my house, but they would fall in love with God and want to obey God because they love him as their God. Right, remember the story of Joseph. He fell in love with God. That's why he had trust. Not because dad loved and trusted God. That's where it started. But Joseph adopted God as his own. Right? And, and he trusted and obeyed and loved him. And so with fear and trembling is, is the other way, uh, the other thing that this says. It's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We want to be pleasing him. And we want to be in line with, with what pleases him. So the first thing we see as we get into the details here is, is point one, we work out, God works in. Right? We work out, God works in. If you look at that verse again, it says, uh, not only in my presence only, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? Don't, don't get distracted by the out, and, and this is like Sesame Street, right? Out, <laughs> in, you know, you work out, God works in, right? It's very simple, but it's, it's physical works that God's requiring. It's obedience. It's, look, God's giving us the, the lay of the land. He's giving us the structure. He's helping us understand this is, this is how I want you to live. These are the things I want you to do. These this is the heart I want you to have. And as you do what you're supposed to do on the outside, God is at work on the inside, right? Because we're working in accordance with what his word says. All right, so basically what the Bible is telling us is that, you know, he's asking for a response to what he's already done. The life we live, the decisions we make, the things we say and do, right? All of that stuff is outward, those are physical responses and actions. Everyone else can see and hear those works. Right? They can see and hear the things that we do and say, obviously. Right? So he changes our insides so that what comes out is different. And when we obey that, he changes the inside a little bit more, and he shows us more things that he wants to be different about us as we get into his word. Our outward appearance is a response to what God is doing on the inside. Because it's, it's God at work. And because it's God at work, our response should be fear and trembling. Right? It says fear and, and trembling ought to be the, the way we respond because of who is at work. In Psalm 2.11 it says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Uh, chapter 34, verse 9 of the psalm says, O fear the Lord, ye, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Right? This fear is obviously, you know, if, if God was right in front of you and you saw him, you would hit your face on the ground. Right? You, would, you would quake and tremble in fear. Well, we can't see him. What he's talking about here is humility. What he's talking about here is seeing him for who he is and responding for who he is. It's not on your sheet, but James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. 
Why do the devils believe? Because they can see him for who he actually is. And when we see God for who he actually is, when we see Christ for who he actually is, it ought to change the way we react to him. Ephesians 6, 5 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, or singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Now that sounds kind of weird. You should, you should respond to your boss in fear and trembling. Well, you should be humble, and you should be respectful, and you should realize that you don't just work for a man, you work for Jesus Christ. And, and you are being and putting on an example of who Christ is in your life by the way you respond to your boss. And every single day, everybody else sees that too, not just your boss. It's important. 2 Corinthians 7, 15, and, and his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Paul sent a guy to check out the Corinthian church. They, they got the first letter, and he ripped them to shreds because they were a mess. The second letter was, man, you guys, I've heard the report you guys listened. You, you took heed to what I warned you about. This is awesome. And, and you received my messenger with fear and trembling because he was carrying God's word. You responded to him as you would Christ because he delivered Christ's word to you. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, uh, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. All the time and everything. The next thing, the little phrase that we see is to will and to do. So what we do on the outside is fear and trembling, and we respond as though we're responding to God in everything. What God does on the inside, <clears throat> excuse me, he changes our will, our will to match his will, and he changes our desire to do the things that he's asking us to do. He changes our hearts, right? Sometimes you know what he wants you to do, and you want to want to do what he wants you to do, and it's just not there. And sometimes you just have to ask him, and, and he needs to change your heart so that you can take that step. Ephesians 1.9, having made known unto us, to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Right? God has a will and a desire for us. He, he's not willing that any should perish. So part of his will is that all would turn to him in faith. And so part of our job and our responsibility that we need to be obedient in is getting the gospel out to people. Amen. Letting people know who Jesus Christ is and what he did on their behalf and how they can come to know him as Savior. That's our responsibility. Second Thessalonians 1.11, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Right? Our faith in God's word, what he says, ought to move us to work. We ought, there's, a, there's a work of faith. If you have faith, it's not just saying, yes, I believe. Because if you genuinely believe, he's got instructions for us. And if you genuinely believe his word, then his instructions are going to move you to action. It's a work of faith. 1 Corinthians 15.10, and I've told you guys this, you know, at the beginning of the year, this is kind of my verse for the year. This is one that God keeps hitting me with. This just popped up while I was studying this. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. He didn't, he didn't waste the grace he put into my life. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Amen. 
Paul says, I'm going to work my tail off with what God provided me because there's a work of faith to be done. But it's God that does all the changing of people's hearts. All the fruit that came from Paul's ministry was because Paul worked on what God told him to work on, and God worked in people's hearts. Paul worked out, and God worked in. Right? That's just how it works. Hebrews 13, 21 says, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. When we do his will, when we're in accordance to what God desires, he's going to keep changing your heart. You're going to be more like Christ the more steps in his direction you take. That's just the way it works. He says, that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, we got some work to do. right? We, we've seen that. There's some, we should have a servant's heart. We should have servant's actions. And sometimes, Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap. Okay, when is this due season? When is this due time? Well, when God decides his time. Well, that's encouraging. He says, be not, or let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Because if you faint, that means you fell over. And you stopped. And you quit following. And you quit doing what he's asked you to do. So how... The question, the important question is, how do we keep from getting weary in well-doing? So this is, this is the, the message. This is the main key to the message tonight. It's point number two, the proper attitude of God's, ter- God's servants. We need to have a proper attitude. We need to have the same attitude that Christ had. We need to do the same things that he did. Sometimes, when you take the form of a servant... You know, life gets a little bit difficult. Because sometimes when you take the form of a servant, and you take the form of a servant again, and again, and again, you start realizing, hey, how come I'm the only one around here taking the form of a servant? Bunch of bums? <laughs> I'm not saying that to you guys, but that, that's what happens, isn't it? When you continually do the right thing, there will be times when God wants you to wait for the results. That's no fun. The results are promised. The timing is unknown. And you may be the only one walking with the Lord at times. Right? And then you'll feel silly when God shows you that, you know, you're just narrow-minded. There's all kinds of people walking with the Lord. So in, in your car, you have these little things, the dash lights. Sometimes we call those idiot lights. I've used this example before. But those idiot lights are there to say, hey, idiot, change your oil. Hey, idiot, that clunking sound in your engine, <laughs> probably got to get that checked out. Might be too late. You know, hey, you know, we've got one idiot light that comes on. It was, it was too late. Sorry, Zach. <laughs> it happens. Those are lessons learned, right? You know, so it's not the lights that are the problem. The lights are indicating something else is a problem. So, you know, we... We have these idiot lights kind of built into ourselves, and, and normally other people see these light up before you see them light up. And they're called murmurings and disputings. If you find yourself complaining a lot about what other people do and what other people don't do and who's serving and who isn't serving and, and why they're not like you and you know what everybody else is seeing? Man, your dashboard's all lit up. 
and you kind of sound like self-idiot, right? We do that. We, we get selfish. And man, service, continual service, you can get there. You can get to that place and not even realize, man, I, I'm, I'm complaining about everything. I, I need to get, get this under control. He says to do, he says to serve the Lord in obedience without murmurings and disputings. 1 Corinthians 10.10 talks about murmuring. He says, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Okay, well, that sounds bad. And that, that's Paul referring way back to the, the book of Numbers when the Israelites complained and God delivered them. And they complained again and God delivered them. And they complained again and, and God delivered them. And then he brings them to the promised land. They send in spies. And the spies come back in Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. And it says, And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And so they brought some giant fruit out of the land as proof. And so what they're saying is God kept his word. The land is exactly how God said it was going to be. Well, that sounds good, right? God keeps his promises. He, he didn't lie. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in that land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. Right? So God said the land was going to be this, and he also said you're going to overcome it. So Caleb's like, all right, he already proved that one. Let's, let's watch him prove this one. Caleb's ready to go. But the men went up with him, that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which that had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which, uh, which come of giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So these guys are so huge, the enemies are so big, the obstacles are too big, everything is exactly what God said it was going to be, I don't remember him telling us about these guys. What's the deal, God? I didn't know there was going to be giants in there, it was going to flow with milk and honey, but how are we supposed to get that? He continues on in Numbers chapter 14, if we look in verses uh, 8 through 11, it says, if the Lord delight in us. Then he will bring us into the land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. So Moses and Caleb and Joshua had the right perspective. They had a, a perspective of faith. Everybody else had a perspective of fear. Verse 10, he says, But all the congregation bade Stone them with stones, and glory, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. So these guys are so afraid of the enemy that they're going to kill their leadership. That's crazy. That's what happens when you lose faith. That's what happens when you have more fear than faith. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? 
for all the signs which I have showed among them. So God has finally had enough of their complaining. He's finally had enough of their murmuring, and he says, all right, this generation is going to wander the wilderness until they're all dead, and the next generation will go in. I'm not putting up with your murmuring anymore. If you follow the story, God says this is the tenth time he's listened to the murmuring and complaining, and, and he's done. And what is, what is the heart of the murmur? It's, it's fear. It's, it's lack of faith. That's the big offense. God says, you know, you're singing your sad little song about how life's not fair, and other people don't have it as hard as you do. You know, meanwhile, God's singing Journey. Don't stop yes. believing. What's the rest? Hold on to that feeling. Feeling. Okay, that's all we needed that. I can't hit that note. I needed some help. Right? Nothing has changed from God's perspective. He didn't change any promises. He didn't lie. He didn't, he didn't turn things around and say, oh, I got you guys. Hey, you, you thought you were going to get the, you know, I tricked you. No, there, there was none of that. None of God's promises changed. The only thing that changed was Israel's faith. When you murmur and complain, you say, God, you changed the stakes on me. You promise things, and, and it's not coming true, so you must be a liar, God. You know what that says? It says you have no faith. It says the fear is getting the better of you. It says the longevity of the long-suffering is getting the better of you. And now you're calling God a liar. And you don't want to be that guy. Because the results of that, God says, okay, you call me that. And, and, and when you're done wandering in the wilderness, I'll still be the same as I was before. And my promises will still be the same, and I'll be in the same place. You'll just be how many years down the road having wasted all of that time without me? We've got to have the right attitude. And when we have the right attitude, the number three, we have the results of a right attitude. In verses 15 and 18, he uses the words blameless and harmless. Luke chapter 1, verse 6, uses this word blameless when it describes John the Baptist's parents. They were blameless because they obeyed the law. They were righteous because they followed all the rules that God had set out for them. It doesn't mean they were flawless and perfect. It means if they did something wrong, then according to the law, they made it right. right? If there was sin in their lives, they took the right sacrifice. They did what they were supposed to do. They were walking with the Lord the best they could. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know the only thing you can do to cause harm with a dove is throw it at somebody? Like that, that is a probably the most harmless creature, unless maybe they, you know, I think Todd used to shoot them because they, they had some sort of bad stuff in their, their poo-poo. But, uh, you know, it, they're just... The, Todd's an exterminator. He had to kill, you get too many pigeons and you got to get rid of them. Uh. Sorry, a little more context for that. He says, harmless as doves. You ever see that, that meme, like this dove, will fly away and be at rest, and that thing is <laughs> at a funeral. Man, that's embarrassing. They're, they're harmless. That's, that's what we ought to be. We, we ought to be harmless and blameless in whose eyes? God's eyes, obviously, but in everybody else's eyes who's watching. 
because everybody else is watching, because you claim to have something they don't have. You claim to be something that they're not. You call yourself a Christian, you are supposed to be like Christ. He says there's a contrast against the crooked and the perverse that should be apparent. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your moderation be known unto all men. How is that going to happen? Because nobody has moderation anymore, that's why. It's going to stand out because the rest of this world doesn't even know what that means. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are of the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your good works, your obedience to God, your service to other men and women, specifically of the church, should show other people, just like the missions report Mark read, something's different about these guys. There's a different light about them. Ephesians 5, 8, there were sometimes darkness, but now, or ye were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the world, or in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Amen. You do that in the world. We used to be a part of the world. We're not anymore. So what do you post on social media? What does the world see? What do you say when you're, you're in the shop with the fellas? What do you do when you're not around your Christian friends? Do you do what everybody else does, or do you, what, do you do what God wants you to do? do you, are you who you say you are all the time? Right? We can't compartmentalize and be this person here in this crowd and another person in a different crowd. Right? Paul said he was all things to all people, that he might save some. Not that he might fit in with everybody and never stand out, and nobody knows the truth because I just make sure that, you know, I'm just a chameleon, and I'll be like you guys, and you'll never know. You'll never know that I actually love Christ. <laughs> I'm so cool, and, and, and I just fit right in. And, isn't that awesome? How are you supposed to stand in contrast to darkness when you communicate in darkness? Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Why do we shine? We're pointing to that day when our Lord and Savior comes back. We're pointing to Him and Him alone. Paul says, rejoice because of the offered sacrifice and service. And our labor is not in vain. Galatians 2.2 says, I went up by revelation and communicated with them the gospel. It says, lest by any means I should run in vain or had run in vain. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, there, anybody that, that runs in a race, you know, anymore, you can sign up for a race, you want to get a medal and a t-shirt, and a, you know, you've participated. Anybody that's serious about it, they're racing because they want to win. Right? You can race and participate and, and post on Facebook how you ran you know, 12 minute miles, and good job, man, you, you, you ran, that's awesome. That's probably what I would run now with my one and a half legs. Good bum knee. I'm a whiner. If you're going to run, don't run for nothing. I'm murmuring. I'm murmuring. Good call. I'm murmuring and complaining. It doesn't have anything to do with services, just getting old. If you're going to run, run to win. First Thessalonians 3, 5. 
He says, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, he hadn't heard from this church for a while. He sent somebody to find out, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Look, man, I invested my life and my heart and my soul in you, and I, I got to know if you're sticking it out. He's willing to sacrifice all. He says to the Thessalonians in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he was willing to give his own soul for them. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. We ought to serve others, because we've been served like never before. 2 Corinthians 7.4, Great is my boldness in speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Right? It wasn't just what Paul was going through. He knew the others were buying in because Paul was willing to serve them. They're willing to serve others. And God receives the glory. So we're going to break up into groups now. I just wanted to finish with one thought on your page. Our heart towards serving God by serving others directly impacts the joy and effectiveness of the work he desires from us. It's a lot of words. Our heart towards serving God by serving others directly impacts the joy and effectiveness of the work he desires from us. Do you know that he's not looking for you to just have a miserable life because he's got a a set of rules he wants you to follow and a, a set of hoops he wants you to jump through? He wants you to have joy in the midst of those trials. He wants you to have joy in the midst of serving others. And he wants you to see the effect you have on other people's lives. He wants you to be able to experience other people growing in Christ because you're willing to lay down your life and serve them. And he says, you're going to see that fruit. And you're going to have that joy. And and you, like me, and like Christ, and like others before him, and and beside him, you're going to be willing to lay it all down. Because these people are worth it. And Christ's name is worth it. And I'd give my own soul if I could. I don't know if I can say that. I don't think I can say that. But Paul was willing to give it all for anybody else to come to know Christ. Go ahead and break up in some uh, groups of four or five or whatever. And uh, there's some questions at the bottom of your sheet. And then I'll wrap up here in a few minutes.